believe that is totally true. Seek first his kingdom. Well, how many of you love the word tonight? We're going to get into the word. We're going to continue in the, the colossal Christ of Colossians. I want you to stand with me to read a few verses. And while you're standing, let me remind you that May 3rd, we're launching into a series on revelations. June 3rd. Thank you, Kathy. June 3rd. And it's, I'm preparing. It's going to be great. I'm having to do some updating on a lot of the stats and a lot of the things that have happened since last time I taught it, which was uh, quite some time ago. But if ever there was a time, we need to hear the book of Revelation. I'm telling you, it's going to blow your mind. It is so powerful. And it has moved me all over again. So June 3rd, book of Revelations. Uh, tell somebody. They don't want to miss it. It is the greatest book of prophecy I mean, it lays out the future, and it shows us how the future is going to end and how a new future is going to begin, so don't miss it. All right, tonight, Colossal Christ of Colossians, part five, we're going to look at roots and fruits. Everybody say with me, roots and fruits. Now, let's, uh, let's read out of chapter two, and here is Paul talking, and he says, I want you to know how much I have agonized for you and for the church at Laodicea and for many other believers who have never met me personally. I want them to be encouraged and knit together by strong ties of love. I want them to have a complete confidence that they understand God's mysterious plan. And what is God's mysterious plan? It's Jesus himself. That's his mysterious plan, mysterion, mystery. Notice that Paul, well, let's pray together first before we go into this. Father, thank you for your word tonight. Lord, speak to us and help us to be grounded in the Word of God. And we thank you for it, Lord, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell them this is going to be good tonight. God bless you. All right, can we get the helper? There we go. Notice that Paul had an agony. Now, does that sound very spiritual to you? I thought we were supposed to always have love, joy, and peace, and be happy, and bouncy, and all of that. But here's Paul telling us that he had an agony. Now, this is a mature, extremely mature man of God talking. The agony was from the Spirit. And as you begin to move into a ministry of prayer or uh, a, an interse intercessory uh, time in your life, often... A spirit of intercession is accompanied by a spirit of agony, an agonizing in the spirit. Agonizomai, I have an agony. He says, here's the agony. It was a burden. And his burden was for the Christian church. That what? That they would be knit together strongly by the ties of love. Paul says, I got an agony on the inside. This is a spiritual thing. It, I am feeling what God is feeling. I'm sensing and going through what God is sensing. And what is God sensing? God's longing for you and me, his agony for us, is that we would be knit together, not ripped apart. That we would be united, not divided. That was his agony. Now the word knit is from a word meaning to join together. To join together. And he uses uh, like joints and ligaments. The, the joining, uh, that which joins bones together. He uses those examples. He says, I want you to be knit together, joined 
together spiritually. And now Paul used this illustration of the church being like a human body. He used it a lot. He used it all the time. Let me give you another example. He says, from whom the whole body, this is out of Ephesians, from whom the whole body joined and what, everybody? So look, he wants us joined and knitted, all right? Knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share. Can you see with me that he doesn't expect the church to be a one-man or a two-man or a three-man show? Look what he says. He says, knitting is going to happen when every joint is supplying what God has graced it to supply. Now, I want you to understand tonight, I'm going to show you a couple of verses in a minute, but there is a gift in you. There is a gift in you. You have a gift or the Word of God is not truthful. And that gift is supposed to play a part in helping knit together, join together the body of Christ. Look what happens when every part does its share. It says growth happens. This is how church growth happens. It causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Powerful. And here's another example of this knitting analogy. He says, not holding fast to the head from whom all the body nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments. What does it do when it's knit together with every joint supplying? Say with me, grows. This is how the body of Christ grows. The body of Christ doesn't grow by hiring a, dy a dynamic pastor or preacher who's able to wow everybody with his oratorical skills and grow the church. That is not how a church has really grown. A church grows when every joint, every member supplies something. We're reading the Word of God here. Everybody, everybody say with me, I've got a gift. Say with me, when I got saved, I got gifted. If you believe that, say amen. If you don't believe it, don't say anything. You say, well, I don't feel very gifted, Pastor Jeff. doesn't matter what you feel. That doesn't have a thing to do with it. The Bible says when you got saved, you received a gift. You say, well, is that really true? Well, he says, the body will grow with the increase that is from God. I'm going to show you about the gift in just a moment. But look what it says. When every joint supplies according to the gift that has been given to it, it says the body grows with increase that comes from God. I can't grow this thing. You can't grow this thing. When we all contribute the gift that God's given to us, then God causes the increase. And it's a supernatural growth. According to Paul, the body of Christ is held or knitted or joined or united together by these things. First, love. He says, you're going to be knit together by strong ties of love. Knit together by strong ties of love. Okay? Love knits us together. You don't have to like everybody. But you can love people you don't like. You know that's true. God didn't tell you I want you to go out and like everybody in the body of Christ. That's not going to happen. Some people, you're not going to like them. They're not going to be your kind of folks. 
you're going to have even friction with some people. I know that doesn't surprise you. You're going to have friction with some people. You're not going to like some people. They're going to be very different from you. We've got everything in this church. Everything. Every denomination from all walks of life. And get ready. It's going to get worse. One of these days we're going to have people with orange hair and purple hair and blue hair walking in here. Tattooed from head to toe. Rings and things sticking in their skin from head to toe. And you know what God's going to say? You don't have to like them, but you've got to love them. And you can love what you don't like. All right, then he says, not only by love, but he says each member, as we've been talking about already, each member contributing to the whole. The effective, he says, the effective working by which every part does its share. Every part does its share. You know what that tells me? Paul never encourages pew warming. He never encourages any Christian to sit soak and sour. You're not called to warm a pew. You're not called to name and claim a chair and sit there every time, and that's your calling to this church. You're called, listen, one of the great days of your life, one of the greatest moments of your life will come when the light bulb goes off and you realize what God has called you to do. You don't have a fate. You have a purpose. And God has given you that purpose. And when you find out what God has gifted you to do, say, well, Pastor, I, I can't figure it out. Oh, it's so easy. What do you like doing and what does God bless when you do it? I mean, is that rocket science? What do you like doing and what does God bless when you do it? It's just that simple. So I haven't figured that out yet. Well, just start watching yourself. Ask people around you. What do I do? Well, what does God bless when I do it? <laughs> Amen. That's just not that complicated. Y'all are saying to me, well, don't I need to have a dream, a vision, a cloud formation? Doesn't it need to be something dynamic, angels singing, harps playing? Don't I need to wake up with an angel standing next to me and say, thou art called to do? No. When God blesses you, when he saves you, when you get filled with the Spirit and you begin to go to church and worship God and get faithful and seek his face, start watching what he blesses when you do it. Some of you, it's business. Some of you, it's some kind of ministry. But there is something God will bless when you do it and that you enjoy doing it when you do it. I, I, I got my annual physical this week, my, the greatest time of the year for me. And I was talking to my doctor, who I love. I, he's been my doctor since we've been here. And I, I just love him. He's a great guy. And we got to talking about God. And he said, well, how's it going? I said, man, it's just going great. God's blessed our church, and it's growing. And we had 1,400-plus folks on Easter, and it's really doing good things. And he said, you know, Jeff, um, that's just what God called you to do. I said, it is. I'm, I'm a one-gift guy. I'm not a multi-gifted guy. I'm one gift, but I use that gift every which way but loose. I'm going to use that gift. But now, he said, I tell my children, don't do what you wake up in the morning hating to do. He said, I've been called to be a doctor. I love being a doctor. When I wake up, I love going to the office. I, I love seeing patients, even you. And he said, that's just my calling. 
And it's what I love doing, and I know that His grace is on me to do it. And I'm going to tell you, He's a good doctor. God's called you, church. I'm trying to tell you something tonight. Let me just show you some more of the Word. Look what Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. As each one, say with me, I'm an each one. As each one has received what? Preach to me a gift. Minister it. What do you do with your gift? Minister it to one another. Don't spend it on yourself. But I want you to notice Peter said every Christian has received, there it is, singular, at least a singular gift. He says once you find out what that gift is, go minister it to somebody. As good stewards of the manifold grace of God. See, when God gives you a gift, it's not your gift, it's God's gift. And he's invested it in you. And he wants a return on his investment. I mean, Pastor Ray, I can't do it. If I did what Pastor Ray did, you'd you'd see me on Channel 8 News in about four weeks running down the street with my hair sticking up everywhere going crazy. That's not my calling. But Pastor Ray loves it. He's got vision for those kids. And he loves it. But he couldn't do it. As a matter of fact, he tried senior pastoring. He said, I tried it for about six months and had all that fun I could stand and went back to kids. He said, the only thing in the church that grew was the children's department when I was the pastor. (laughs) You have a gift and God has given it to you as an investment. You don't own it. It's not your gift. You are a steward over your gift. And God's going to tell you, when you meet him, Nobody's going to be there, not your spouse, not your kids, not your friends. You will stand before God. And you know what he's going to say? Number one, what did you do with Jesus? Number two, what did you do with the gift I gave you? Did you sow it or did you bury that talent? I'm glad I'm not multi-gifted. I don't want to have to answer for a bunch of them. I just want to answer for one. You see what I'm saying? So say with me, he's given me a gift as a steward. And one day I will give it back. Jesus said, freely you have received, freely give. Whether you're a businessman, businesswoman, no matter what you do in life, a doctor, we've got a doctor in here, whatever you do, you be sure you sow to God. Be rich toward God. No matter if you're a businessman, whatever you're involved in, however you make your living, be sure you give it to Him for His glory. And sow it. I hope someday I can go on a mission trip, like say to Haiti, take a dentist or two with me, a doctor or two with me, and for about a week, freely minister to those people. God had bless you for that. Amen? Now next Paul tells us that Jesus is the sum total of all wisdom. Jesus is the sum total of all wisdom. Look what he said about Jesus. In him lie hidden all of the treasures, not some, all the treasures of wisdom and of knowledge. Now, the reason that matters is you can't go through life without wisdom and without knowledge, or you will be a never-ending train wreck. You've got to have wisdom. 
you got to have knowledge. What is wisdom? It's the ability to use knowledge rightly. And in Jesus, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden. Now, interesting to me that he uses the word hidden. That means uh, it's from a word meaning kept secret. That the, the wisdom that is in Jesus is kept secret. And the only way that you can uncover that wisdom is to seek his face. That's why you ought to seek his face every day. Because you know what, folks? I gave my heart to the Lord 39 years ago. And I have just, I feel like I've just barely begun getting everything out of him I want. I'm after him. I'm in hot pursuit of Jesus. I want to learn everything I can learn. I want to glean from him. And I know I'm barely, barely going to scratch the surface by the time I go to heaven. But I intend to scratch that surface. You've got to seek him in order to uncover the incredible treasures of wisdom that are found in him. You're going to have to seek him because they're hidden. You could bring together, I assure you, all the philosophers and thinkers of all the ages. And you could place all their profound thoughts and all their ponderings together in one great container. And you would find, I guarantee you, that all of it combined cannot hold a flickering candle to the wisdom of Jesus Christ. I promise you, I read a lot, and I read a lot of philosophers. I read a lot of philosophers when I was trying to figure out life. Read a lot of them. And you know what I found over and over again? The great minds that have dotted the landscape of history, the great thinkers, never found what they were looking for. Einstein searched for most of his life for an equation that would unify the different aspects of creation he saw around him. He believed in a creator. And with all of his brilliance, Einstein died frustrated. I, re I read that in a book about him just recently. And here's what he wrote, and I pulled that from this book. He said, I shall never, ever solve it. I'm uncertain as to whether I was ever on the right track. I don't want to die and say, I don't know if I was ever on the right track. And I assure you, if you seek Jesus, you will reach the day of your passing from this world not saying, man, I'm uncertain as to whether I was ever on the right track. You will reach that moment going, here I come, Lord. Thank you. You're the way, the truth, and the life, and you guided me all the days of my life. I'm ready to meet you. And there's a couple others. The Greek philosophers, I read a lot about them. The, the big three, um, Socrates, Plato, Aristotle, Spa, easy way to remember that, Spa. Socrates, Plato, Aristotle. The Greek philosophers peered hard into the mysteries of life and meaning. Yet they admittedly died frustrated, did not find what they were looking for. Socrates was one of them. He was the first one. And the famous, uh, he was in the 5th century B.C., and he used to say this, I only know one thing, and that is I know nothing. Well, you know what? <laughs> the older you get, here's what you come to. When you're young, you say, I think I know everything. When you get a little bit older, have, have a few kids, married a while, you say, I think I know a few things. As you get my age and the kids are grown up and you've seen a lot in life, here's what you say. You say, 
I know a little bit about a few things, but I'm learning. But I don't want to die and say, I didn't know a thing. Friedrich Nietzsche, who famously announced the death of God, uh, God is dead, came from Nietzsche. And he was a famous philosopher, very admired. If you go to a university today, any college, you're going to hear about Friedrich Nietzsche, famous philosopher, and very popular among intellectual elites who just think that he said great and profound things. But he lived most of his life angry, unhappy, and he died insane. In him, Jesus, are found all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. The bottom line is that Jesus Christ, says Paul, is the final answer to the cry for wisdom, understanding, and meaning. I guarantee you, you can give me the, the simplest Christian, and he'll have more wisdom simply from reading Jesus than some of the great philosophers who lived and died. Paul goes on to say, I'm telling you this, so no one will deceive you with well-crafted arguments. Now remember, Colossians was written because lies were attacking the church about the person and work of Jesus Christ. He says, I'm telling you why I'm writing this letter to the Colossians. Here it is. I'm writing it so that nobody will deceive you with well-crafted, slick, influential arguments. Folks, I think there's more deceivers around today than ever in history. There are always those out there that want to deceive the well-meaning Christian, and, and they're deceived all the time, well-meaning Christians, with well-crafted arguments and lies about the Christian faith and the person of Christ. I'm amazed at what I see Christians believing these days. I'm amazed. It just blows my mind. How could you possibly believe that? What, how did you arrive at that? The only way you and I can get deceived is if we don't know the Word of God. You've got to know the Word of God. Paul says, don't let anyone or anything remove you from Christ Jesus by false promises or well-aimed deception. Now listen to what he says about them. He says, for though I am far away from you, my heart is with you. My heart's with you, church, and I rejoice that you are living as you should, and that your faith in Christ is strong. Now, if he said that about the Colossians, he says it about you. He says, I'm thrilled that you're living as you should and that your faith in Christ is strong. Can you notice with me that faith in Christ always translates into living like you should? Show me somebody who says, well, I believe in Jesus. Sure, I believe in Jesus. You know what? And if they're not living a righteous life or a, or a Christian life, a life according to the Word of God, or at least trying to, I'm going to tell you, they don't know the Jesus we're talking about tonight. Or they've walked away from Him, one or the other. But please understand, church, if you've got strong faith in Christ and a strong relationship with Him, it will translate into right living every time. And if somebody teaches you how to live right, you don't resent it. You don't resent the Word of God. You embrace it and you receive it. You are so glad when God chastens you and gets you in the right path. The person who's right with God and been truly born again longs to please God. Longs to live right. Because your nature has been changed. 
All right? Now, this is what Paul is going to drive home in the next few passages. Let's listen to what he says, verse 6. We've got two verses to go. This is good stuff. Everybody say amen. amen. Now, look what he says. And now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus, just as you got saved, as you accepted the Lord as your Lord and Savior, you must continue to follow Him. Follow means to live, deport oneself, follow as a companion, be occupied with, walk about with. It means as you walk about in life, whatever you do, wherever you go, let your life be one of following Him. The Greek word is peripateo, and it means as you walk around in life, Everywhere your feet go, your heart goes, your eyes go, your activities go, everywhere you go as you walk around in life, be a follower of Him. Be a follower of Him in the college. Be a follower of Him at work. Be a follower of Him at home when the doors are closed and the blinds are closed and nobody sees you but you and your family. Be a follower of Him as you walk about. You know, more and more, I don't tell people that I'm a Christian. I tell them I'm a Buddhist. No, I'm just kidding. just want to see if y'all were out there. You know what I tell them more and more? I don't never tell them that I'm a Christian anymore, but here's what I'm starting to tell them more and more. I'm a fully committed follower of Jesus Christ. I'm just a fully committed follower of Jesus Christ. Because that's what a Christian is supposed to be, not just get your fire insurance and get saved and go to heaven someday. He says, as you have received the Lord, so continue to walk with Him every day, in every way. You've been called to shine for Him here and now, not just then and later. That's Christianity in its simplest form. Say, well, what do you do? What's your religion? What are your beliefs? Well, I'm a, I'm a committed follower of, of Jesus Christ. Oh, really? Well, what does that mean? Well, it means I follow... Not just, I don't just turn to Christ to go to heaven someday, but he is my philosopher. He's my philosopher. He's my teacher. He's my guide. Hello, church. That's what the red ink is for. Just a little bit of that red ink has to do with heaven. Most of it has to do with now. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, and I read the red ink. You could take that red ink, and that's the greatest philosophy that ever came out of anybody's mouth on planet Earth. We come to Christ not just for salvation, but to fully follow Him in this life, obeying His teachings as the highest form of philosophy, as our ultimate guide. I'll hold Jesus' teachings up to anybody you want to bring on. By the way, I'm so proud, and I'm going to say it here and say it on radio, of Miss California. She didn't do anything wrong. She spoke what she believed. She said she did not believe in two people of the same sex being married. And you would think she stood up and said, Hitler is my hero in life. 
She is being persecuted. She's being maligned. Hollywood has now come out against her. She is being raked over the coals. But I say to her, if I could talk to her, I would say the Spirit of God and of glory is resting upon you because she said, she said on the Today Show, I think it was the Today Show, which I never watch, would never give my time to, but she said, I am glad I had the opportunity to be biblical good girl good girl you're my hero that took guts and our secular backslidden God-forsaken culture is gonna rake her over the coals for all it's worth may God strengthen her and make her shine and raise up a host to stand with her I'm glad I got that off my chest now, next, Paul talks about roots and fruits. And here's where we come to tonight, this last verse. Let your roots grow down, Paul says, into him. And let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught, and you will overflow with thankfulness. That's beautiful. I'll tell you, if we would just do verse 7 for a year, oh, we'd be blessed. Now, what does it mean? Let's look at it. By the way, uh, the whole thing about roots, he used the same word, for example, in Ephesians 3.17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. Now, this whole thing about roots is so important to you and me as believers. Let me talk about roots for a minute. Rooted, believe it or not, is from a Greek word meaning stable. It means stable. Notice that rooted comes before the word built. You can't be built up in the faith till you are rooted down in the faith. Okay? First the root, then the fruit. That's true with everything in life, bad or good. Whatever your roots are, your fruit will be. Jesus taught this. You're not going to get uh, you know, pecans off an apple tree. You're not going to get oranges off a pear tree. You're not going to get thorns and thistles off of a fruit tree. Whatever your roots are, the fruit will reveal it. The fruits of your life reveal what are the roots of your life. And every single person in life has roots down in their soul of something. Every person in life is bearing some kind of fruit. It can be the fruit of flesh, car carnal fruit. It can be uh, fruit of unbelief and doubt. It can be fruit of depression. It can be fruit of heresy. It can be fruit of anger and hatred. Or it can be the fruit of love, joy, peace. But every person in life is bearing some kind of fruit. And what decides the fruit is the root. What roots have you taken in? What have you been taught? What is your belief system? What are your values? What are your morals? What are your ethics? What is your worldview? What is your core? Whatever is down there is going to come up for all to see. Now I'm going to give you a big idea. Here's a big idea. Say with me, first comes the root. Then comes the fruit. You can't build on something that has no roots. Now let me ask you a question as we close out tonight, or I finish this on roots. Uh, what fruit is showing up in your life? 
You're bearing spiritual fruit, uh, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, kindness, faith. Against such there is no law. You stagnated? Is the fruit dried up? Is it flourishing? Are you an angry person, a hateful person, a, a, a prejudiced person? Are you a loving person? See, the, that's why it's so important that you watch what you read, who you listen to. Can I just drop a little bomb on you here for a second? Something just for you to think about. The Bible says in Psalms 1, Blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. Now notice he says, Blessed is the man who does not sit under the counsel of the ungodly. Now as soon as I say that, you think, Well, I don't have some weird, gnarly, wicked-looking dude that I'm sitting and listening to. Can I just toss this out? If you got that tube on in your living room and you're watching, to me, for me, television has by and large gone straight to hell. All that's coming over that thing for the most part is secular, humanistic, godless, antichrist, filth, garbage. And without Christians realizing we're sitting in the council of the ungodly you're sitting there I'm not saying don't ever watch TV but can can we at least come to the place where we go I should be discriminating in what I sit in my living room all the furniture is turned towards that thing like an idol you walk in and boop it comes on and and who's coming over that thing I tell you, 95% of the time, the ungodly who have ungodly counsel, who don't share your worldview, who hate your Christ, hate your God. I'm talking about newscasters. I'm talking about commentators. I'm talking about comedy shows. I'm talking about, I'm talking about talk shows. You ought to be discriminating for the sake of your own soul. I don't just preach against things. You know that I preach for things. Hey, anything God removes from your life, He puts something else better in your life. Why not turn off that, that babble box and open up the Word and get edified for a minute or read some book, some teaching, or turn on a CD or something. Some people, some Christians walk around, what's the matter? I'm, I'm just down. I'm just depressed. I just feel kind of heavy. Something's wrong with me, man. And if you could look back over their week and what they listened to and what they watched and the counsel of the ungodly that was dumped into their soul, it's no mystery as to why they feel blue. I can't watch it anymore. I get mad every time I watch it. The miracle is that thing has survived without me throwing something right through it. I'm not trying to be against everything and pray and you shouldn't have any fun and enjoy life. I don't think that it's enjoyable to listen to the ungodly. Why should I give my mind to them? Rootlessness is the reason so many people walk away from Christ Jesus. And he warned about rootlessness, rootlessness, in Matthew 13, he said, He who received seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word. He immediately receives it. 
This is somebody that's getting saved, somebody that's being touched, being blessed, getting born again. They receive it, but something happens. Look what happens. They receive it with joy. Hallelujah, I've been saved. Glory to God, I'm going to church, reading the Bible, excited, witnessing for Jesus. Yet, what's his problem? Say it with me. He has no, no root in himself. And he endures only for a while, but man, when somebody says, you're a Christian, oh, then you're one of those freaks, you jerk, get out of here. When tribulation or persecution arises because they're walking in the word, immediately he stumbles and backslides. How's he backslide? He has no root. I'm going to promise you, you have roots, you're not going to backslide. Rootlessness and backsliding our brother and sister. How do you get roots? Let's close with this. As we live by faith, remaining, continuing. Remember what he said? As you have accepted the Lord, I want you to continue following him every day. As we live by faith, remaining in fellowship, personal time in the word, and in obedience to Jesus' teachings, you will get rooted And you'll get rooted to a point where no matter what winds blow, what storms rage, what tornadoes or hurricanes spiritually move through your life, you will not get uprooted. You'll just bend and bow with the wind and stand right back up again. That's just the way that it is. Your roots determine your values and your priorities. Therefore, to be rooted in him means that we allow Jesus Christ to determine our values and priorities by putting him first in our life and not as giving him leftovers. If you want to establish stability in your Christian life, stability, you must learn to live in Christ and not just for Christ, in him. That's why I get with him. I get, I get with him to get in him. You become rooted in Christ by surrendering yourself in faith. Surrender all of you to Christ. And here's another big idea as we close. The more you surrender, the deeper the roots grow. I was talking to somebody this week. I said, what about so-and-so? And I'm not knowing anybody here, so don't worry about it. I'm not talking about you. Somebody that me and a person knew way back. And I said, what about so-and-so? How are they doing? I said, well, they're not growing spiritually like they could. Well, what's the problem? They haven't totally surrendered. You're not going to grow spiritually unless you totally surrender. You're not going to get roots. Here comes a wind, and it will come. Poof, and you fall. You're uprooted. The roots are sticking out everywhere. What happened to them? Well, the wind blew. That's not what happened to them. They weren't rooted. That's what happened to them. Paul then says that as goes the roots, so goes the fruits. As we live in him and follow him, we will be built up in him. And being built up in Christ is an ongoing process. It takes time and patience. And I'm going to stop right there. And let's stand up tonight, can we? And I'm going to read this verse as we close. Being built up in him takes time and patience. In Luke's gospel, Jesus said, you bring forth fruit with patience. 1 Corinthians 3.9 says, we are both God's workers, and you are God's field. You are God's what, everyone? You are God's building project. You, you're God's building project. 
Philippians says, one of my favorites, and I'm certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Jesus returns. How many of you want to be rooted? You want to be deep rooted? You better get your roots deep now. You better have them deep now. We need you with deep roots. When Kathy and I moved into our house, we've been there 19 years, a guy we knew came, he planted this little bitty tree in our backyard, little bitty thing. He said, the Lord told me just to come plant this tree, and I looked at it, and I said, ain't no shade coming from that deal. I appreciate it, but it was, you know, yay high. Now, it's this huge shade tree. And you know how the winds come in Texas. And this bad one that was a few weeks ago, we looked out there. That wind was howling. It was coming at 40 and 50 mile an hour gusts. And this huge tree that he planted, bending, and then it just came right back up. Bent the other way, came right back up. I said, Lord, that wind is going to blow the roof off. And there goes that tree, but no. Bent, shook, but stood right back up. And then I went out there, and it occurred to me, you look down there, and the roots, they're going way out and way deep. And it hit me. That's the way he wants you. I look at you, first the root, then the fruit. Today I enjoy the shade of that tree. Father, thank you for roots, roots and fruits. Thank you, Lord, for helping us to be rooted and grounded in love. Knit together by what every joint is supplying in the body of Christ. I thank you for it and I bless you for it. In Jesus' name, can you lift your hands and say, Lord, help me to be rooted. And then thank you for the fruit that comes from the right roots. In Jesus' name, give him a hand of praise. Come on up, Ray.